Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 11 this morning. And uh, as you're opening there, I'd like to say um, how honored I am (laughs) uh, by this day. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me be your pastor. And thank you for choosing to recognize us for 10 years serving here and um, honor us in this way. It means a lot to Whitney and I both. And, uh, but know that the true honor for us really, and this is sincere, uh, we've, we're talking about this morning a lot, sort of, um, just getting to surf here week in and week out is the true honor. And uh, in fact, folks show back up every Sunday is amazing to me. And so uh, I really, really appreciate it. And so as we turn our attention this morning to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, uh, I don't think you guys are verging on idolatry or anything, but it's a good thing to remember. Um, that, that uh, this Sunday and every Sunday is about the Lord Jesus Christ and about His Word. And so any, um, um, uh, I don't like the word success, but whatever, any success or any good things that have happened here are solely because of His grace and because of the fact that when I'm at sleep at night, the Word is still at work. And so I praise God uh, for that, for this Bible. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. If you have your Bibles uh, open there, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. You've heard this twice, I guess, on the video, but we might as well do it again. Um, The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all for the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Lord our God, I ask you if you would please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And God, it's my prayer that we'll be transformed by the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I never cease to be amazed by the fact that I get to be your pastor. Um, It's an amazing thing to me. We we came here, we moved to Gadsden. Um, I was 26 and Whitney was 25. Our little girl, Watsi, was around six months old. And um, from day one, from day one, we were embraced by this congregation. We felt the love and support of you all from the first day. Um, and that's not to say we haven't had our ups and downs together as a church. Um, there had to be some days where you guys felt like you made a mistake. Um, there were certainly some days where we thought, man, I've, I've looked at Whitney before and, and said, 
um, the most prideful decision I ever made in my life was doing this. <laughs> it was verging on foolishness. I had those days where I was at the end of my rope. Um, all I had was the Lord. Those are good places to be, though. Um, but nonetheless, d- despite all that, on both of our both sides, right? Um, every day, every day, I've been thankful um, for the opportunity to live out my calling with joy. There's never been a moment here where I felt like I couldn't do what God had called me to do at its most fundamental level. You've never fought me over preaching the word. You've never fought me over the truth. You've never done anything except accept the word with gladness and joy. I'm so thankful every day for the opportunity I get to serve Christ here at First Baptist Church. What I do here every day, every Sunday, every Monday, every Wednesday, every day of the week when I'm here serving at the church, when I get to be the pastor at First Baptist Church, what I do here every day is something I dreamed about in college and seminary. It's just what I wanted to do. And um, it's hard for me to explain how thankful I am for this opportunity. I've gotten to spend most of this summer reflecting on our partnership. What it means for myself as your pastor and the rest of our pastors and our staff here and you as our congregation. What it means for us to be partners in the gospel at First Baptist Church. In this gorgeous passage that's just so beautifully set to music as well in the anthem, the choir just sang the centerpiece of this beautiful passage where Paul is addressing these Philippians whom he loves. The centerpiece of this beautiful passage, you can see it in verse 5. Why is he praying? Why is he thanking God? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This, this passage, then, I would argue, is in many ways a portrait of a healthy gospel partnership. What does it look like to partner together in the gospel? And I think a healthy, beautiful gospel partnership is what has marked our relationships as pastor and people for 10 years. And my prayer and hope is that we continually grow in our gospel partnership in the years and decades to come. And so from this passage this morning, I want to show you Six hallmarks of a faithful gospel partnership. And I hope it will continue to characterize our relationship in years to come. That's right, six points. It's my party. I can preach as long as I want to. (laughs) Six hallmarks of a faithful gospel partnership that I hope will continue to characterize our relationship for years to come. Here's the first point. Prayer. The first hallmark of a faithful gospel partnership is prayer. Do you see Paul is referencing his prayers here? He frames his discussion of the partnership he has with the Philippians with talk of prayer. I thank my God, he says, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, For you all, making my prayer with joy. What a good thing it is for God's people to pray for one another. To remember one another in prayer. To consider the needs and wants and desires, the difficulties, the struggles, the trials of our brothers and sisters around us. And to take those things to the Lord in prayer. What a unique intimacy there is in praying for someone else. First of all, we have a unique intimacy with God the Father as we pray. Through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Bible says we're indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit, and therefore the throne room of heaven is open to us through the blood of Jesus in the gospel, and we have direct access through the Son and the Spirit to God the Father, even to the point where when we pray and we can't even find the words to pray, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will intercede on your behalf. What intimacy we have with God in prayer. What a nearness there is to the Lord in prayer. Then to take that beautiful relationship that you have with God and to invite the struggles or to invite the desires or to invite the supplications of another person into that prayer, what a beauty that is and how it knits us together in love. It's so difficult, my friends, to hate someone you pray for. You ever thought about that? If, if there's somebody you're struggling to love, I can't emphasize enough how, how much I would encourage you to pray for them. And it doesn't even have to be good prayers at first. God will sort that out. God, you know what a low-down, dirty snake that person is. You think God can't change your heart? He can. Oftentimes in prayer, I'm reminded that I'm the low-down, dirty snake. God reminds us, right, that we ought to be humble. So go to pray. I, I think there's such a beautiful picture in the Bible um, where, where oftentimes the way to better prayer is praying, even if it's praying wrongly. You have not because you ask not. And God Apostle says later, it's not answering your prayers because you ask for the wrong things. But he begins by telling you, start asking. <laughs> and eventually, God's going to change your heart. What a privilege it is for me as your pastor to get to pray for you. I love that you asked me to pray for you. It means so much to me. I love knowing what you're praying about. What a joy that is to know what's on your hearts. Do you know how much it helps me when I know what you're praying about and what you want me to pray about? Do you know how much it helps me to preach sermons to you? Because I know what's on your hearts, I know what you're wrestling with, I know what you're struggling with. What a privilege it is that you pray for me. It means so much to me. You tell me all the time that you pray for me. But my friends, if we are to have a faithful gospel partnership, we must remember, as my missionary friends often tell me, prayer is the work. This is what we're called to do as a church. If our best days truly are ahead, those days will be fueled by prayer. We must continue to pray. Paul goes on and, and talks further about the prayers he has for the Philippians. We must pray for one another. We must pray for our walks with Christ. We must pray for the lost. We must pray for the children of this church. We must pray for our friends here. We need to pray for our pastors. We need to pray for our city. We must continue to be vigilant in prayer if our partnership is to be built around the gospel. And certainly it is. Second of all, the second hallmark of a gospel partnership is gratitude. Gratitude. I do. I, I thank God for you. I'm so thankful for you every day. And I wish more... Pa I, I'll say this also. I, I get a profound sense from you of your gratitude for me and for our staff. And, that mean, and for our families. That means a lot to us. To know you're thankful for us. And one thing I've noticed is that Dying and dead and cold churches tend not to be grateful for one another. I've, I've been places to preach um, before. And I can always tell um, when the church and the pastor have a healthy gospel partnership. Because the more 
people in line come up and say, wow, we are so grateful to finally hear a sermon from the Bible or something like that. The more I know. People say things like that. They express their gratitude for a break from their pastor. But oftentimes I know a very healthy church says, thank you for adding to this. This reminds me of the way our pastor said something or they say we we are so grateful you came to preach to give our pastor a break those are the my favorite things to hear because I think God is at work in this church because the people are grateful for the pastor and the pastor is grateful for the people gratitude must mark true gospel partnerships that's what Paul says I thank my God in all my remembrance of you he's thankful Gratitude is one of the surest signs of a heart that's been captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can we not be grateful? How can we not be thankful? I I know there are people who watch our service at night or who are out from church for one reason or another and watch our service on television. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if you don't go to this church or if you go to another church and you hear this later or whatever else, I want to encourage you, if your pastor opens the Bible and preaches, if he loves you, if he prays for you, it doesn't matter if he's flashy, it doesn't matter if he's a church growth guru, if God has given you a faithful shepherd, get on your knees and thank God. Not every person has that. Some people have the flash and the growth and all the things the world is looking for, but they don't truly have a pastor, according to the scriptures. How might... I ask you, in general, how might a sense of gratitude change your life? What what would choosing to be grateful, choosing to be thankful, what could it do in your life? For one thing, it reduces complaining. I've been waiting for my food for an hour, but at least I've got money to pay for it. Praise God. It improves our attitude. It improves our attitude. You think about it, you just set out and say, I'm thankful to be alive today. I'm thankful to be able to be to walk around, thankful to exist, I'm thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes your attitude in the day. But you get up and you say, I'm owed this and I'm owed that. You're covetous instead of thankful for what God has given you. You're frustrated about what God has not given you. And on top of that, angry because he in your sense, you've in your mind, he's given it to someone else. As if God's blessings are a zero-sum game. If someone else is blessed, you can't be. Oh man, what a toxic attitude and a toxic heart you have. What a place where gratitude can't grow and flourish. But if instead you begin to see things as they really are, your attitude changes. My friends, it transforms our relationships. It transforms our relationships. When you wake up in the morning and say, I'm owed nothing. I've earned nothing but hell from God. And I happen to be upright and walking. Man, it totally transforms our relationships, the way we treat other people, because we often go to other people thinking they owe us something. But gratitude transforms us. It makes us thankful for whatever we get from anyone. What a blessing. It weans us off selfishness, and it it reminds us of the infinite goodness of God. I can't begin to tell you how important it is in church to be grateful. To be grateful. To not... Spend your time complaining, to come to church with a good attitude, to come to church with 
uh, a view toward having healthy and good and godly relationships, to come to church not being selfish but counting others as better than ourselves, and to come to church being reminded of the infinite goodness of God, my friends, gospel partnerships must be characterized by gratitude. But not only must they be characterized by prayer and gratitude or thankfulness, but also by joy. By joy. Notice what Paul says in verse 4. I thank my God, verse 3, in all my remembrance of you, but notice verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Making my prayer with joy. Christians should be joyful people. Now that doesn't mean you have to be happy all the time. I've Ten years now, I think I've warned against REM theology. We're not all supposed to be shiny people, shiny, happy people holding hands all the time. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to, sometimes you go through trials and nobody expects you to put a fake smile on. I want to remind you, this is the last place on earth where you should feel like you have to fake it. If you feel like you're about to fall apart, you just come on to church and fall apart. We can handle it. And if somebody says something weird to you, tattle on them and I'll go talk to them. Because you ought to feel fully free to come here and not have it together. Because we are not called to fake it. But that doesn't mean we're not called to have joy. In fact, oftentimes, us trying to fake happiness is why we can't ever quite get to joy. Us trying to trying to ignore the fact that we're sad or that we're going through a difficulty or that the trial's as bad as it is or trying to pretend like we're not suffering. I, I think that the water tables have been infected with health, wealth, and prosperity theology a lot more than we think. I think we've heard enough preachers say when things when you haven't had your breakthrough, it's because you haven't had enough faith or some other hogwash like that. But my friends, I want you to know God does not spare His dearest servants' trials. If you have a hard time believing that, just look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God, whom God did not spare but gave Him up for us all. What does this great hymn we sang say? The flame will not hurt you, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. God will put His servants through discipline and through trials. It doesn't mean He doesn't love us, but we have to find joy. We have to find joy in all of our life as a Christian. There's no more joyful work than the work of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the joy you have and the joy you give. But my friends, we have to steal our spines because we live in an age where there's a real and genuine temptation for Christians to lose their joy. But we have to fight to be sure that we continue to be joyful because of the gospel. Because what we say is that there's nothing in this world that Christ hasn't conquered. And you live in an age where people make their living. They make millions and millions and millions of dollars by bombarding you 24-7 with things that are designed to make you angry and afraid. There's no joy in fear. There's no joy in anger. There's no joy in fear. There's no joy in anger. Now sometimes there's a satisfaction in anger, but it doesn't last long. And it sure doesn't create joy. 
And as soon as you get home, some of you are going to turn your TV back on and be bombarded with things that are designed to rob you of joy, to make you fearful and angry and to hate other people. And I want you to know we have to steal our spines. We have to flee to the Bible. We have to remember the gospel. There's nothing you'll see today that troubles you or agitates you that Christ will not one day step on the neck of. You understand? You see the triumph of the gospel and the joy it ought to give us? If we are going, if we are marching to Zion, the beautiful city of God where Christ reigns forever and forever and forever, and He's going to wipe away tears from every eye, He's going to make sickness go away forever, He's going to beat all the swords into plowshares, we are going to a beautiful world without end, we ought to be people who carry the joy of heaven in our hearts everywhere we go in this world. Embrace joy, my friend. But also... Fourth of all, the fourth hallmark I want to mention is hopefulness. Hopefulness. I love what Paul says. You'll remember verse 5. Because of your partnership, he's joyful. All these things are because of this partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then Paul says in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You see, I have a limited vantage point as your pastor. For some of you, I saw when the work began. For others of you, I get to see the work continuing. But for none of you will I get to see the work completed. That work's not done until the day of Christ Jesus. When every stone is unturned, when every soul is sifted at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. It's not until then that I'll truly know. Even, well, I know even my own heart truly. No, not only God does, truly and fully. But that doesn't mean I'm not hopeful. <laughs> because I've seen the beginning and I see what God's doing and I'm hopeful. I believe with all my heart that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Gospel partnerships are characterized by hopefulness because the gospel gives us hope. I've been in ministry long enough to see people straying from the Lord and coming back to the Lord. I've been in gospel ministry long enough to see the way that God brings His people home. He writes the last chapter. We must remain hopeful even for those who are backslidden or struggling. Christ finishes the good work that He begins. We must be hopeful. We must let our partnership together be characterized by hopefulness. That means we don't give up on our brothers and sisters. We don't shun our friends when they're not quite how we want them to be. Sometimes we don't want Christian friends. Sometimes we want Christian accessories that are always there to help us grow in our faith, that are very rarely needy or always helping us. But we have to be willing, right? We have to be willing to walk down difficult roads with friends with hopefulness, believing that God is faithful. Jesus will. Whoever it is you're praying for, Pray in faith, pray with hopefulness, because I, I believe He will finish the good work that He begins. Fifth, 
gospel partnerships must be characterized by love. They must be bound by love. Notice this progression that Paul makes in verses 7 through 9. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. This is love-like language, and I'm going to show you why I think it is more explicitly in a moment. I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. What affection does Christ have but the affection of love? But notice how Paul turns the phrase in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul defines what this affection, what this yearning is in his own heart when he says how he's praying for the Philippians, that their love would increase. All of these three verses are referring to the love which Paul has for the congregation at Philippi and which the love which that congregation has back for Paul. I want you to know something, my friends. Love is underrated. Love is underrated. Love hopes all things. Love covers a multitude of sins. If that's not enough, the Bible says God is love. The whole of the New Testament ethic, what Paul calls the love law of Christ, you remember from Galatians, he summed up the whole New Testament ethic as this, faith working itself out through love. Hopefulness is important. Faith in God is important. But what does Paul tell us? Faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. And if nothing else, what more pure and perfect display of love is there than the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if our partnership is going to be a gospel partnership, it must be defined by love for one another. It's clear, it's clear that there's love in this congregation, and we want to ask God to cultivate it and allow it to grow. And I hope that the love we have for one another will overflow and that people will see the love of this congregation all around in our community. We should be known for our love more than anything else. And so if I were you, I would just evaluate my text messages, my phone calls, my conversations, my social media posts. I would evaluate the relationships you have with your family members. Uh, this is something I need, I'm doing myself. And ask yourself, in all these situations, would people say I'm characterized by love? Or by something else. And I hope primarily it's love. And finally, sixth point is this. Spiritual maturity is a hallmark of a gospel partnership. Gospel partnerships are defined by growing and increasing spiritual maturity. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, I want your love to abound more and more. Now remember, love does not mean that we just let anything go. I don't mean the modern sense of love, but God's sense of love. Because he says, he wants your love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. With knowledge and all discernment. There are times when that call for love to be ex expressed in different ways. It's not always tender. Okay, It's not always sweet. Sometimes love calls for more difficult situations. Rarely, though, I would say. Nonetheless, verse 10, so that he, he, he wants your love to abound more and more so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's a picture of holiness, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is a shorthand picture of what it means to grow in Christ, to be spiritually mature. We want to approve what is excellent. We want to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of the Spirit. And all this is to the glory and praise of God. This is what I delight in most as a pastor. I delight in this the most. I don't care about gold shovels and hard hats. I don't care about how big the budget is. I don't care about how full the room is. What I delight in the most, those things matter. Compared to this, it's nothing. I delight in seeing you built up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing brings me joy. Nothing brings me joy like seeing you grow closer to Jesus. This is why I preach the Bible. Nothing else can produce this. This is why I preach the gospel. This is why I don't get up and just tell you how to do better and be better every week. Because I don't know how. And the Bible is not for that. The Bible is to show you the grace of God in order that your heart might be transformed. In order that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you might slowly and steadily become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only tool we have for what God has called us to do. And if we are going to continue to grow in Christ, we must continue to have a gospel partnership built on the Word of God. I delight in our partnership in the gospel. I I delight in sharing with you in prayer, the prayer life we share as a church. I'm grateful for the joy we have in our congregation. I think we're going to express joy together in the breaking of bread here in just a few moments. I'm hopeful about what God's doing in your lives. I, I promise you, I promise you can ask our staff. You can ask our staff. I don't give up on you. No matter where you are with the Lord, I don't give up with you. And that's not because I'm such a good guy or a magnanimous guy. That's because I believe that he who began a good work will finish it. And I think you'll be prepared for the day of Christ Jesus. So I don't care how far away you are. You just come talk to me or you just go straight to the Lord and please let me know about it so I can rejoice. But I want you to know, I don't give up on you because God doesn't give up on you. He will finish the work. I'm hopeful about what God is doing in your lives. I'm thrilled by the way love is displayed in this body. I love the love that we share together. Your spiritual maturity dwarfs mine. I've seen you in hospital rooms and at gravesides in unimaginable suffering and difficult times, and your commitment to Christ is amazing to me. I've seen you betrayed by friends and hurt by loved ones. I've seen you in the lowest points of your life. Your spiritual maturity is an anchor. It's an inspiration for me. Drive me nearer to Jesus. By God's grace, truly, truly, I can say, that I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want to offer an invitation this morning.
If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to know, God put me in this world and God put me at this church to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it would be my joy today, if you need to know more, if you need to learn more, it would be my joy today to talk to you about what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. Second of all, you may be a believer who just needs a few moments to pray at the altar. It's open to you. Or if you need me to pray for you or to talk to you this morning, that's what I'm here for. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be for us to learn the news that someone else desired to join in our fellowship at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, it would be my joy to tell you about, talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist. After this prayer, no matter where you fit, I want to invite you to come or right where you are, respond to Jesus. Let's pray together.